This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 144 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. It's game week at last and we'll cover every angle of Georgia State's season opener against the Gamecocks of South Carolina, starting with the long anticipated first Panthers depth chart of the season, which was released Monday afternoon. So we've gotten to take a little bit of a look at it and there's some interesting stuff to discuss. Uh, Gentlemen, what you got? First off, let me say it's it's game week. We're finally here and you know, I think some of the energy is a little different because week zero has been a thing the last couple of years. And so there was college football last week, and that was a nice little appetizer for what was going to come this week and the rest of the season. Uh, but still, a lot of these questions have been hanging in the air for so long. Uh, Georgia State, a lot of expectations this year. And so this is finally the week where real games are happening, going to be seeing it live on Saturday, and it's real exciting time. And uh, yeah, like you mentioned, some interesting things from the depth chart. I mean, these things are, I guess you'd call them living documents. I guess you'd call them not all that important documents just because I don't think coaches intend for everyone to have every little interesting, good bit of information about who's going to do what role because they want to keep stuff to themselves. And so um, I think watching the South Carolina coaches, I think they said they spent like 30 seconds putting it together before releasing it and then proceeded to get like eight questions specifically talking about someone's spot on the depth chart. And they were like, guys, you know, it's, this is just what it is. And so it's one of those things where it's like, we want to have something to talk about and they have to put it out. And so it's that balance between like, you have to recognize it only means so much, but it's also the only thing you can really go off of. And so David, let's spend like, five ten minutes talking about the depth chart shall we oh no we're gonna pour over this thing like for the coaches they don't care about it which is fine but no no, no. we need to go through each and every part of the depth chart and we need to make sure that we analyze and figure out every single thing that coach elliot is telling us through this list of players all of which we will see at some point in this first game and this season yeah, so the first thing is new that we kind of knew based on the open practice there was and is that Travis Glover, who was left tackle the last two years, is going to kick inside and play left guard. And newcomer Bryson Broadway, who came in the spring from Eastern Illinois at the FCS level, at the FCS level is going to play that left tackle spot. And so that's one of the new faces. And the other new face that we didn't know until the middle of this fall practice is that Redshirt freshman Montavious Cunningham is going to get his first career start at right tackle, supplanting two-year starter Jonathan Bass. Um, my first takeaway is on that is just this coaching staff, I think, has the benefit of the doubt when you have freshman young guys coming in and playing offensive line early. I uh, think Everyone that I just named, with the exception of Bryson Broadway, uh, who obviously entered the program as a junior, did that same thing where they started really young. And in the case of someone like Malik Sumter, he started about halfway through his freshman year and then just never gave the job up. And other guys like Pat Bartlett was from day one. Uh, Shamarius Gilmore, who just left, did the same thing. And so when I see someone on this specific team who's got the freshman next to their name in a depth chart of the offensive line and they're starting, I figure they're ready because that's just how it's been. And that all of these guys have been able to put up so many starts for Georgia State because they're starting early. And so, you know, without putting too much expectation on a guy in his first start in SEC, stadium i'm expecting that he's going to be ready for this uh as a freshman and so that's another exciting young player to watch out for 
And you didn't really talk about the offensive line as a whole, but I mean, you got to give them the benefit. You got to give the coaching staff the benefit of the doubt whenever they make a move like this, you know, and I obviously was kidding a little bit earlier, but I, the part that I said at the end of my little spiel was true. We are going to see all these guys, you know, if you're going to sit there and expect that Cunningham is going to play a hundred percent of all the snaps this year, that's not true. And so having a guy like Bass behind him, you know, like we talk about depth in every sport and everything that we talk about and on the offensive line, depth matters more than skill. I would say, (laughs) you know, I, I think there is a real argument to be made that depth is more important than skill there. So, you know, having that type of depth behind a guy who just won out in camp, one out in spring practice and you know the coaches feel like he Cunningham is going to be the guy that they want to go with like that's I mean that's huge it's huge for him it's huge for Georgia State if you know especially if there's good buy-in behind that you know that's most people want to be a team player anyways so you know why not why not go with the guy who's shown that he can be you know an elite level lineman and the one thing we've learned a lot about Travis Glover the last couple years watching this team is the guy absolutely mashes in the run game and so it wouldn't necessarily seem like a really logical choice to move your left tackle inside, but I think it's a perfect fit for him. I think he can do what he's done best and just do those. Yeah, you know, We saw it a lot from Shamarius Gilmore in his time at Georgia State in that left guard spot where he's either pulling or he's getting to the second level. And Travis is another guy who's suited to do that. And so it really felt like a case of just trying to get the best five out there. And it's it actually might work out to where he is finding a new gear at a new position uh, that wouldn't necessarily be your first guess on paper. Although I, just given that he did it last year on like the sparsest of occasions, there were a couple of times where Gilmore had to be off the field. And so when that happened, uh, he, he did that last year. And so I thought there was a chance it was going to happen, but certainly still, I guess, innovative, you'd say, to make that decision and move a guy from a position that he's done well at the last two seasons, give him a chance in a new position and maybe a chance of, at a position that his pro prospects are better at that. He can be a guard at the next level. And this is his chance to put some tape on being a left guard at the college level. I guess we started off with what I had to mention. So I guess what caught your eye, David? Oof. I think the thing that caught my eye in a slightly different vein was on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, I saw Ja'Cory Crawford as a safety and I was like, you know, okay, that makes sense. Wait, no, it doesn't make sense. He was definitely a linebacker last year, but fear not. He was a safety, I, I believe his first year at Georgia State. Yeah, he came he as a safety, safety and he yeah. played safety in the 2018 season when he was a freshman. And I believe last year was the first year I kind of noticed how good he was in coverage from the linebacker spot. So I think this is probably a good move especially given where kind of some of the other guys are at the linebacker position for Georgia state. You know, if you've got a good coverage linebacker, this is what teams usually do. They kind of allow guys to creep back there and be safeties unless they are, you know, big, huge bodies. And I mean, six foot two fifteen is not small by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, comparatively some of the other outside linebackers that Georgia state have are, huge you know i'm going to use this as a time to plug jamil mohammed who is huge as well you know six what is he six two two thirty on the depth chart which is probably a lie um 
But, you know, if Jacory is still, you know, bringing those coverage skills that he had last year, he's probably going to be a fine safety. And I mean, you know, Ant Lane can't cover everything as much as we think, you know, as much as he wants to get better at certain things in coverage and as much as, you know, he took some steps forward last year, he still can't cover the entirety of the field. So, you know, I, I think that was the one thing that really, you know, kind of brought attention to my eyes when I first looked at the depth chart. Yeah, and I think hit stick is kind of the reason in some ways that I think they know what he can bring at the safety spot that he's got locked down. And without knowing what was going on at practices, I feel like whenever they made a decision to switch Jacory back to safety, it was having a guy behind him that they trusted just to be stable, to make plays, that could be a good coverage safety, could offer a lot of the similar things that he was already doing at outside linebacker because that outside linebacker spot and safety in this defensive scheme, like especially with what coach Fuquay wants to recruit there, like it's the straightest line that there could be between an outside linebacker and a safety in most defenses because we've seen it already before. You know, Jordan Strawn, who's obviously on the other side in this game for South Carolina started as a safety at Georgia state. And then they saw something, they moved him to outside linebacker and the rest was history. He co-led FBS in, sacks in 2020 with uh double digit sacks and so like we've already seen this play out and I, I think it's a case where he's back to what he had done before because it's what the team is best served by kind of in the same way where they're having the best five offensive linemen and so that means moving Glover inside I think it's a case of having the best 11 on the field on defense and they just have a guy in John Trey Hunter they trust in that spot I thought it was interesting that the only true freshman on the uh, two deep and on the offense or the defense, uh, discounting that the backup kicker is true freshman Liam Rickman. Uh, special teams are people too. I'm not trying to discount that, but for the sake of this, just on the offense and the defense, he PJ Simmons at outside linebacker is the only true freshman. And so I thought that was interesting. It's always, you know, sometimes guys flash early and that isn't what pans out, but a lot of times we've seen guys play as freshmen. Uh, the f- latest one I can think of, or the earliest one I can think of is Shandon Sullivan played as a freshman and, you know, got a, a pick against Clemson that year and continued to grow from there. And so when I see a guy as a true freshman is already making the two deep, probably going to play on Saturday, tells me a lot about where he already is. And you know, that's the hard part is getting to that part where you're fighting for reps, especially before you've really gotten into a strength and conditioning program in college. And so it, you make a good point that Ja'Cory Crawford moving to safety is a uh, – probably the biggest takeaway on the defensive side of the ball, but that was an interesting subplot to there is that the guy who's placing him in his spot, true freshman, and definitely an impressive thing to see this early on in his career. And I, I mentioned special teams, so I guess we could head off that one. Uh, we've talked a couple of times now about, you know, the expectations that special teams are going to be different. And uh, Quay White and Terrence Dixon are still listed as the returners, which has been the case, I believe, most of the last two years. And so if you were looking for a clue of, Someone else was going to be there, and that's an indication that they're going to return more. Maybe that was a place where people were hoping to see KZ Adams early. I didn't get the expectation that was going to be the case, but I guess it, it wasn't until this point that you'd know for sure. But as of yet, we're going to have to still wait for games to be played to see for sure if there's that change that's expected there, if they're going to be returning more, because it is the same guys that have been throwing up the fair catch signal the last couple of years. But uh, other than that, Michael Hayes, the three prong starter, you know handling kickoff duties, doing the place kicking and punting as well. We talked about it. Little concern long-term, it just holds up because there's a lot for one guy to do. But 
you got the other guys there, young guys behind them, that there are other options at any of the phases should at any point Coach Elliott and Coach Banks want to change something up there. But as of now, I think you trust that that's the guy that won the job at each of those positions and he's the best option there. And in that regard, whether things change with the return, there's still the option that you're going to see something different with punt you know, punt coverage, kickoff coverage, pump blocks. And so interested to see how that plays out in this first game. Yeah, you know, I hope that throughout the offseason and throughout camp, they worked with those two who are listed on the depth chart to be actually capable of returning kicks. You know, I think we saw last year there was some pretty suspect decisions that Qua made returning kicks. And, you know, I, I can't say that I think that'll continue um, because it's just not something that we've ever seen really out of, you know, these Coach Elliott teams. Um, but, you know, I think given that they actually have people who are coaching now, I don't think it's anything to worry about, like you said, to I don't think we need to worry that the names are the same. And if I mean, those guys are bad, like we saw last year at the end of the season, it wasn't just these two who were returning, who were fielding kicks. So, you know, like every good team has a bunch of guys on special teams who are back there looking at kicks. And, you know, Coach Elliott is definitely not somebody who is going to keep a guy there if he's you know fumbling if he's you know making the wrong decision he's very quick to you know be disciplining guys if they're messing up so i I think it's a good i i've we've seen qua and we've seen terrence do good things and other parts of the field and i think this is just one area where they've just needed to kind of get some guidance and grow and i think this will be the year that this is going to probably make a difference for georgia state We've done it, ready for all the expectations on snap counts to completely go differently from this Saturday onwards. But you know, the depth chart was a little bit less interesting this year just for the fact of so many guys are back and we knew they were going to be back. And so really, it just spelled out again the experience you have coming back. So you know, not the same as where you're like, who's going to play this spot and this spot and this spot. But that's at the end of the day, while it is exciting to think about the possibilities of, oh, you've got a new starter here, here, and here. The experience is kind of what Georgia State's leaning on, that this is, can be a good year. And so it's not a bad thing that you look at the depth chart and you can only pick out, oh, one of the safety spots is different and a guy moved there. And one of the spots on the offensive line is different. And you know, Robert Lewis is starting at wide receiver. But other than that, um, you're kind of grasping at the straws of like, oh, this is slightly different. And that's where you want to be because Georgia State's got a stable base of good you know players they know can produce and that's what they're going to lean on as they're trying to have a success in 2022 yep that sounds like a really fancy way of saying depth is important so i like that always all right let's go ahead and move on to discuss the game proper uh versus south carolina 7 30 p.m eastern on sec network plus and espn plus the gamecocks are led by shane beamer in his second season in charge they were a surprise bowl team in 2021 and beat future panthers opponent unc in the duke's mayo bowl to finish seven and six on the season the biggest storyline coming out of columbia for this game is the south carolina debut of oklahoma transfer quarterback spencer rattler a former five-star recruit other new faces include JMU transfer wide receiver Antoine Wells, and there's familiar faces on both sides. As I'm sure everyone knows at this point, Coach Elliott came to Georgia State from South Carolina, coaching the Gamecocks offensive line from 2010 to 2016. And of course, Panthers running back Jamias Williams and South Carolina outside linebacker Jordan Strawn will face their former teams on Saturday. So 
big game, big opening weekend for the Panthers. Excited to be out there, and uh, I want to hear what you guys are thinking as we approach this game. I don't know how about Brady, but I'm getting big Auburn 2021 vibes, um, which is I don't think that's a bad thing. You know, obviously, Georgia State lost that game, but I think this will be a good game for Georgia State to kind of measure up against a, another Power Five conference team and SEC team who is probably on the rise. But we could also say the same thing about the Panthers. So I feel like that makes it a push in my mind. And I don't want to just give the, oh, it's an SEC school, give them the, you know, you got to give them the edge here because it's the first game. It's, you know, it's their first game. And, you know, I think they have questions to where you could say that Georgia State has a bit of an opening to take advantage of, you know, that inexperience. Yeah, well, I mean, the thing is, is I think there's just not that many games that, especially where Georgia State's gotten to as a program, where you'd go into against any team and say they can't win that game. Like, I think ultimately it was probably a good thing that one of the casualties of the 2022 shortened schedule was that Georgia State didn't have to make the trip to Tuscaloosa and play Alabama because that's really one where there's almost no way to literally win or go away feeling like you could take any kind of victory away from it morally, season progression, whatever, just because Bama is that team, that program under Saban. But like other than those top tiers, like Georgia State's got to the point where they should feel like they can win any game they're playing against anyone. And I think South Carolina fits in that category. And having said that, I think they're a good team. They were a better team than they should have been last year. Uh, Coach Beamer did a really good job getting them, you know, getting the most out of them. Uh, they got to a bowl game and I think they won by 17, but it wasn't really that close. In you know, They hammered North Carolina. And it was a nice capper for them in the first year where they were looking for any kind of positive momentum. And now they're going into the second year under Coach Beamer. The recruiting is ticked up, and that includes getting a bona fide guy that everyone wanted and that Oklahoma had in Spencer Rattler. And you know, things didn't necessarily end great for Rattler at OU, and Lincoln Riley went to USC and took the other quarterback who ended up replacing him Caleb Williams with him and so I think there's a feeling of you know maybe the guy's off the peak of what people thought he could be but he's coming into this game wanting to prove that he's still that guy there's a lot of you know pressure but there's also just a lot of there's a chance for him on the college football stage to show that and so it's kind of an interesting game for me because like you say there's opportunities for Georgia state. And I think one of those is that, that there is this expectation on Rattler and for, for South Carolina, I think the best thing for them is to be able to get out to a big lead or just a comfortable lead early. That'll take Georgia state out of their running game. Kind of like what UNC did last year against Georgia state, where that game just wasn't close, uh, especially in the second half. And it was partly because the lead got so big that Georgia state had to abandon a lot of their game plan. Uh, There's also some bad quarterback play mixed in there. And the offense just was not, hitting on all cylinders until later in the year. But it really started from the fact that UNC hit on some big plays and got the momentum in the game. And I think where Georgia State can take advantage of that a little bit is, you know, if you look at it and South Carolina's looking for those shots and they're not hitting it and they're going three and out and they're not taking a lot of time off the clock and their defense is having to stay on and face Georgia State's rushing onslaught for four quarters. Like there is an opportunity there just because that's the type of game that Georgia State's going to want to play. And if they are looking for any way to get their passing attack going, 
that's where Georgia State's going to want, like that is, they're not going to want them to hit on those plays, but I almost think that they'd want to invite the opportunities for uh, South Carolina to do that because that's where the game could go a little haywire for the Gamecocks is if they're going for the big shots and if they're not hitting them and Georgia State's doing the boring offense we know they want to come in and do and just run, run, run. It's a formula for Georgia State's success, and that is the window. Like it, For Georgia State to win in the game, it's going to entail South Carolina not hitting on those shots. But you know, if you painted a picture where that's the case, where it's just the passes are a little bit off for South Carolina, it doesn't feel that far-fetched. And, you know, like you say, they've went and did it and won the game against Tennessee in 2019 and handled them and looked the better team on the ground against the SEC school. And they did it again in 2021 against Auburn and didn't win that game, but anyone watching the game knew they were right in it. They knew that the 10 point final margin was a misnomer because that pick six where Darren was forcing a shot because he had to. And so, you know, big lights. I know they're putting on the new light show in williams Bryce stadium, a big crowd night game. There's a lot of reasons that it would be an intimidating environment, but, Georgia State's gone into a couple of those in the SEC country the last couple of years and have performed. And so until that doesn't happen, I think there's the expectation they're going to be able to do that on the ground, do what they want to do on Saturday. I'm sure the lights are too bright for Georgia State, just given what we've seen out of this program in school history. Um, I like Honestly, I can tell you that I don't know that I've seen a, a game – where Georgia State was walking into an arena or stadium and they you could say okay the lights are too bright they kind of folded I like I I think the, Auburn last year won the snow that was game. too bright in that state in uh, 2014 the snow <laughs> was too bright that's fair you know I I think Auburn won that game last year I, Georgia State made Auburn win that game I don't think that was a situation where the lights were too bright and I, you know I think as I, I feel like uh, as optimistic as I am about the Georgia State season, I'm trying to talk myself out of being pessimistic because we did see that slow start last year. And, you know, a lot of that was the quarterback play. A lot of that was an offense that didn't want to get out of the mud. And, you know, by the end of the year, you did see guys like Tucker Gregg, guys like Jam Williams, you know, approach the level of ability that we we knew that they had a lot of that was you know darren granger didn't start from the beginning last year but he's the starter now and you know i don't know if darren granger is going to do kind of what quad brown did last year i hope not you know i don't think he will um i don't know if darren is going to regress as a passer in week one you know i don't know if he's going to not be able to run or you know what the offensive line is going to do but i think like you said, there is an opportunity if those things are as we expect them to be, there's absolutely an opportunity for Georgia State to come away with the win here. You know, this is, and you know, I think the line reflects it. Georgia State is a 12 point, 12 and a half point underdog. First game in an SEC stadium this season. That's respect. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm sorry. That's absolutely yeah, I mean, respect. Absolutely. Because it was 25 plus for both Tennessee and Auburn. Um, and then they scored 24 in the Auburn game. Like the line was about where they ended up getting points on the board. Uh, and you're right that like the lights haven't been too bright. That's kind of what I was saying. And you're also right that last year started pretty badly and it was just things weren't firing on cylinders. And so while there's a lot of expectation, there's a lot of we feel like this is the year Georgia State can take a step. 
last year they was such a slow start that it kind of took you out of some of those goals before the clock hit October, or at least early on in October when you lost to App State. It really felt like, okay, let alone going to a bowl, like your chance of winning the East has really gone downhill at this point. And so I think while a lot of the encouragement that came from how well they were playing down the stretch last year is warranted. I, th- I think people want to see it from the start. And I know they want to see it from the start. I know it's been an emphasis for them to not have to get out of a one in four hole again, because there's no guarantee you're going to with this new schedule. Uh, and not to mention if you're going to do what you want to do, you might not be able to stomach four losses, five losses. Like you probably have to be nine and three, 10 and two team to get to that Sunbelt championship. And so a lot of that is more just about the randomness and it's like you could lose this game and that could still be the case. But I think more than just how the game goes, and we talked about this when we did our quick preview of it a couple of pods ago, just seeing good performances, win or loss is going to be the first step because last year, I don't think the expectations were this high, but they were pretty decently high and that army game and the UNC game did not go well. And so even just giving yourself a chance is what you're looking for in this game and playing a game where you're in it late. And if Georgia State's running the ball, like we know they can, I think regardless of how South Carolina is playing, Georgia State will be in the game because that's just the nature of when you're playing a game like that, when you're not making your own mistakes, when you're bleeding the clock as the underdog and you're putting drives together, which the last two times they've been to an SEC stadium, they've done, they'll be in the game. And it's going to be about finding that next level in the later stages of the game, making the plays that Auburn was able to make last year in the third and fourth quarter that you weren't able to and find a way to be that late aggressor. I mean, the reverse was when in 2019, you had Dan making the Tennessee guys run into each other. You had Trey Barnett getting that untouched touchdown in the fourth quarter. Uh, We've seen Georgia state do that. And we've seen Georgia state be good early in the season. You know, 2019, it was the opposite where, they were really good in that opener against Tennessee and they started out six and two and Dan's injury kind of put a hamper on it, but it's not like a long-term trend for Georgia state where it's like, Oh, they never play well to start the season. It was just that last year it went so poorly at the start and you had this expectation that I think everyone wants to see at least that be different this year. And if all they do is play decent and lose, I think that's still a win in this game because the odds are stacked against you. They're an SEC program with SEC money behind it, SEC strength coaches, SEC salaries. Like obviously they're favored for a reason. And even though the line is a little bit softer than you've had the last couple of times you've played SEC schools, they still deserve the respect that they get as a program that's been able to that is able to get the athletes they're able to get. And it's going to be a slugfest if Georgia State's gonna pull it out. But it's we're in such a different place than we were. Like when they, oh, they almost beat Wisconsin. Like no one saw that one coming. No one saw, you know, playing Washington close in 2014 when they ended up only winning the one game that year and they were winning for a lot of the first half. But it's now the case where it's like these type of results where you're in these games with SEC schools is expected. And so it's not like, oh, I hope we show up. It's like if they don't show up, it'll be a real point of like, why didn't they? Like this is the expectation that this program has been set at now. And, you know, 
the next step is just to, you know, be winning these games consistently. You know, make it so it's not an upset. Make it so South Carolina doesn't want to schedule this game. Make it so other, you know, teams want to have caution about a home and home or a two and for one where you have to come to Center Park Stadium. You know, that's that is the next step. And I, I feel like we've totally gone away from talking about South Carolina. But, you know, I mean, that's that's the reality. I think that is the excitement and kind of the anticipation because there's a lot at stake here like this this game doesn't matter in terms of the goals like we can acknowledge that it doesn't matter in terms of the goals for either side you know i think south carolina doesn't need this game to go bowling they well, certainly love i think it. <laughs> they don't need this loss i think that it is right like they don't want to lose this game they right. feel good and this is going to put a damper on their momentum and then they got to go play Arkansas, who's probably going to be ranked, and Georgia, who's definitely going to be ranked. Like they don't want to look at a prospect of an zero and three start when this was supposed to be their year too. And so I would sort of bump on that. But you're right that like it's nice playing the SEC team, and it's a exciting first game of the year. But like if you're putting together your rankings of like your most important games this year, it's kind of shifted to where like you would defaultly say like, Oh, that would be a great opportunity for Georgia state to go to X school or Y school. But like now it's like, no, the most important game is coastal at home to start conference play or going to app. Like it's not a thing where Georgia state needs it. They just need to put together the good seasons and as many wins as they accumulate the better, but it's not this like lose and everything is awful thing as, as long, you know, if they lose a hard fought game, I think you can live with it as long as you continue to put good performances and do get those wins later on the season. And I, you know, like I said, with the, the Auburn thing earlier, when we were talking about it, I do think that that's, what's going to happen. Um, I really, I can see a situation where that this game plays out almost exactly like that one. Um, and it's just going to come down to the SEC school making an SEC school type play. And, you know, I, I don't think there's going to be anything that Georgia State has to hang their hat on, um, hang, keep their heads low. What am I saying? Um, but, I, you know, it, it'll be fun. You know, college football's back. That's that's what we're all excited for, right? And the reason, you know, we'll bring it back to talk about South Carolina now at this point. Um, the reason I think there's maybe an opening there, and I think they're going to be improved defensively, South Carolina but they were 94th in FBS last year with 175 rushing yards per game allowed. Actually a little bit worse when you do yards per carry, they were 4.69. It was in the one hundreds. Um, and obviously they play a lot of good, big SEC rushing teams. I mean, Georgia's on their schedule every year. They run, run, run the ball. And so some of that's a factor of who they were playing, but Georgia state is a top 10 rushing offense. And until we see otherwise, that's the expectation this year. And so that's why I think there is that opportunity there because I think they'll be better. I don't know that they're going to be the 94th defense in rushing this year. And I'm sure that has been a big point of emphasis for them of getting tougher against the run, but Georgia state's not the team to feel it out against and be like, all right, are we a little bit better here? Let's see if we can do good against this D five team. Like it's not a typical D five team, especially when you're looking at the, just the running, like we know what they're going to want to do. And so Georgia State's going to be as big of a test for South Carolina in that regard and where it's like, I expect they're going to hit triple digits in the running game. And I expect they can get to upwards of 150. I mean, they did 267 at Auburn last year. And you know, if whatever job South Carolina does in limiting this Georgia State offense running the ball, I will come away very impressed, especially, you know, not what Georgia State wants, but if it's anywhere near 100 or less, like that would be 
okay, this South Carolina defense is legit, legit. Like it's a chance for them to go in and shut down a really good George State rushing attack that knows what they want to do, knows the defense, knows what they want to do, and has still been able to do it. I mean, that's been the MO the last couple of years. And so I think that's why the opportunity is there because better, we'll see, probably they're going to be better, but better enough when you're talking about what George State's been able to do on the ground. That's where I think the chance is for Georgia State. And uh, you know, on the other side, Rattler's kind of the question mark. And uh, they've done a really good job of surrounding them with a lot of talented receivers and tight ends. Uh, you know, I think it's a case where they don't necessarily know who the guy, the guy is going to be yet. It's going to be something that's going to shake out as, you know, plays happen, guys get open. But I think they feel very comfortable with just the amount of talent they've added to that wide receiver and tight end room. You know, Stogner's a guy that followed Rattler from OU at tight end. He's huge. Um, he's probably also their second tight end because Jaheim Bell is tight end one. Going to be a challenge down the middle of the field for the safeties and the uh, linebackers just because if they're in man on those guys, that's a real assignment to be given because they're going to make life tough for them. And it's going to be the type of, you know, that's where the big play potential, I would say, would be more than anything other than just like, oh, a guy gets beaten coverage. That's not predictable necessarily. That just happens in the game of football. But like, I imagine there's going to be opportunities where Bell or Stogner are going to get open. Maybe the play design gets them open in the middle of the field. And that's where you can have a wrecking ball, like big play against you right down the middle. And I haven't even talked about the receivers yet. You know, Antoine Wells, JMU transfer, really good. Josh Van coming back has kind of been overshadowed because they brought in a lot of guys was already probably the best offensive play for them in the uh, pass catching regime last year. Uh, it sounded like Corey Rucker, who we know because he was at Arkansas state before this might not play, might not be healthy to play in this game. It might be more by the time they play Arkansas in week two, but if he is healthy, I mean, we've seen him, he's gotten big plays against Georgia state's passing defense in the past. So, you know, you look at all these guys and the opportunities are going to be there. And, I think some of the numbers on Georgia State's passing defense are a little bit overbaked. I don't know that they were necessarily like giving up 261 passing yards a game last year bad, but that is ultimately what it says on the tin. It's what you were. And so if Rattler is able to get into a rhythm early and is able to find his guys and his guys are getting open, that is where things are going to be tough for Georgia State. But that is the if. And it can play out in a similar way to the Auburn game last year, not to just completely always draw that comparison, but it applies again where, you know, Bo Nix was getting booed in that game in the first half because he was scrambling around, not finding guys open, missing on throws. And I don't know that they're going to be quick to boom on Saturday if things aren't going right, but it'll be nervy. Like the crowd ends up working against you when you've got 80,000 in there and everyone's nervous because the score is too close and you should be blowing these guys out and you're not. And if, that's a factor for a guy making his first start in a new place where the expectations are so high. I think he's set up well for it. I think they've got some talent there and I'm sure they're going to try and get the running game going to take some even, you know, make sure that Georgia state can't be just ready to go against the pass and they have to honor the run game. But yeah, you know, that's where it'll hinge. I think even more than what Georgia state's able to do. If Rattler is comfortable, fine making his plays that's where it's going to be hard for Georgia State to get a win if they're just clicking offensively in the pass game. And 
to that point too, last year it wasn't as if South Carolina was super prolific in the run game. You know, they averaged under four yards in the uh, you know a carry, three point seven eight. You know, it's not it's not the worst in the country, but that's not really where you want to be. You know, especially in that conference. And you know, I think part of that is they did play Georgia. That you know, they did have they had a tough schedule. Yes. You know, I wanted to kind of highlight that earlier on, and we talked about other things, but I mean. They their offense last year struggled because they had to go at Georgia. They hosted Kentucky, who was good last year, no jokes. <laughs> um, and they had to go at Texas A and M. Like that's you and know they hosted Clemson, and who shut them out thirty nothing because yeah. I mean, for all the trouble that Clemson had last year, their defense was still legit. And you know, it got Brent Venables finally. He's got his own head coaching gig now at Oklahoma. Exactly, and you know, like that's. I feel like a little bit of the defense being what it was last year for South Carolina was because the offense was just not able to stay on the field. And, you know, you kind of look at their rushing numbers and you kind of say, okay, yeah, that definitely makes sense. And, you know, I don't know. I think there's definitely room for Georgia state to be one of the teams that takes advantage of that, especially if it's not, if, if there is any, way for Georgia State to win this game. It's going to be because the South Carolina offense still cannot run the ball as well, and they're just not extending drives. Georgia State's controlling time of possession, and Rattler is, you know, decent offensive game, but, you know, not anywhere near where he or, you know, the Gamecocks want it to be. And the other part of the rushing factor for South Carolina, and this is probably like the last thing I have to say about this game, excited Happy to be going there in Columbia for my first time. Another SEC stadium off the bucket list. Um, Georgia State's rushing defense has been really good. And it's not what South Carolina is going to be used to in the sense of like Georgia, their defense was prolific, world beating in the history of college football. They were so big and they had big guys like Jordan Davis just eating up blocks. And Georgia State doesn't run it that way partly because of the level they have to recruit to, but also just the philosophy that coach Fuquay has on the defense is he wants quickness and speed. And you know, what was happening last year in the first half against Auburn was guys up front were just beating the Auburn offensive lineman to spots and stopping runs in their, you know, in their halting runs in their tracks because they were just winning the spots and they run a lot of stunts, which is going to present some issues for the uh, South Carolina offensive line and pass protection. But you know, I don't think it's just a case of like, oh, it's the G5, it's small front, whatever, we'll go to run the ball. Like, again, I think Georgia State is going to, if nothing else, give South Carolina on the rushing offense and the rushing defense a real test because we've seen them be really good at both of those in the last couple of seasons. It's kind of how they've made their money. And so in the long run, as South Carolina gets ready for a tough SEC slate and having to schedule Clemson every year, which it's currently in a run of that not being a great thing for them because Clemson is Clemson right now. I, you know, Georgia State can look at it, whether they give them a win, whether they take the win from them and give them a loss. The Georgia State's going to be that game that they played earlier in the year that's going to get them somewhat ready for the gauntlet they're going to have to do just because it's going to be a team that's going to test them on the ground in both sides of the ball. And that's the most fundamental part of the game, really, to do what you're trying to do there. I think the Georgia State can take a lot of respect from that. That I think when it's done, however it goes, they give a good account. They give a good account of themselves. They'll have been a good test for an SEC school, and that's 
really where they're trying to build to, to where like everyone knows that that's what they're going to get. And they're not going to be an easy out, but that maybe will be a reason teams are going to schedule them because they know they're going to get a tough game. Maybe that's the optimistic side. Maybe that's going to, it's actually going to be like, never play them again. But like, that is the, you know, it could be something that really does help South Carolina on their path this season, as well as whatever it does for Georgia state. Like it's going to be a good test for them. I agree. I, you know, I think you want that for Georgia state. You want it to be a game where you push South Carolina and win it, or, you know, you force them to have to make a play. Like I've been saying, and you want them to look at, coach elliott and be like yeah never again we're not we're not scheduling this ever again all you can control is being in the game for exactly i mean if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing the game won't get out of hand and at that point it's down to a handful of plays here or there most of them in the second half last year went auburn's way a lot of them went georgia state's way in 2019 and they were leading and were in the driver's seat so that helped with that too so it's like as long as they're in the game i think all the other takeaways will be some form of positive. It's another case of didn't show up in week one, then it's kind of a different conversation and one that I hope we don't necessarily have to go down because it would be a real disappointment because there is this expectation there. But yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I think it's going to be a fun game. I do too. You know, college football is back, baby. That's all that matters, right? Uh, before we get out of here, you know, uh, as you guys probably have seen, you know, myself, Brady and Jordan have entered a strategic partnership with uh, Panther Talk at 24-7 Sports. So, you know, definitely look out for our work there. Um, I believe Brady has already put some stuff out, but there's definitely going to be more to come, you know, as the season kind of kicks off and, goes, you know, things happen. Yeah, really happy with the opportunity um, presented. Obviously, we're still doing the pod. I think entirely as normal. Nothing's really going to change. It's going to be in the same feed. Um, just it felt like an opportunity where everyone benefited from this partnership, doing our writing through the 24-7 site. Uh, the 24-7 site kind of having a full content bench, so to speak, again, we're going to really be able to pour out content all three of us looking forward to opportunities to do more there and uh just yeah excited for what this uh holds for us going forward and uh honestly when we started this we weren't really sure what kind of reception we were going to get what it was going to lead to we started really just it was going to be the pod and it's developed into we've also been doing the writing stuff and now the writing stuff is going to be part of the 24 7 sports network and so all of that is stemmed from you guys listening and giving us that audience and making us feel like our voices were voices that wanted people wanted to hear. And so I really just have to say thank you for all that. And thank you for all the support we've gotten from Georgia State, uh, sports communication people, Allison George, Mike Holmes, along the way who have given us the opportunities to where it's not just a pod. You know, we're able to go cover these games, get credentials and add to the Georgia state media sphere and continue to get Georgia state's a media voice and just a presence that it dictates that Georgia state's going to need if they're going to take the steps they want to get to athletically. Yeah. You know, I'm also, I echo those sentiments. I'm also excited for the opportunity and, you know, it's always fun when you can kind of grow like how we've grown and, you know, continue to, 
cover this fun university like we have been. So, you know, excited, like I said, for the opportunity, excited for, you know, kind of see where this thing continues to take us and, you know, going from there. Yeah, you know, it's a lot of fun to be able to do stuff like this. And I think a lot of people don't fully appreciate the level of access that we get and you get as a Georgia State fan or someone even just casually interested in a school like Georgia State with such a relatively small uh, or developing fan base. This doesn't happen anywhere else, at least not at a major D1 university where you could just decide one day, hey, let's uh, start a podcast talking about our university sports teams and then be met with such an incredible level of support and enthusiasm from prominent figures in the athletic department and people who are connected to the goings on, if you will. And yeah, the support we see from people like Mike Holmes and Allison George in the sports information department, like we said, and there are many others as well, uh, has just been unbelievable since pretty much the second or third episode of the podcast back in 2019. So for this podcast to begin as simply as it did, just an idea among four friends and a grow like it has and all the written pieces we've done on ThursdayNight.com, everything each of us have gotten to do is credentialed media in the press box on the field at press conferences, away games, tournaments, bowl games. It's been an incredible experience. And if you've been here this whole time, thank you. If this is the first episode you've listened to, thank you. No matter your contribution as a listener or commenter, or if you've interacted on social media or whatever, you've helped us build something special here. And don't be confused. Like we've said, the podcast isn't going anywhere. It's staying right here, and we have no plans for it to go anywhere else. What we're doing with Panther Talk and 247 Sports is the next evolution of written content that has been, up to this point, published on our ThursdayNight.com website. So if you've enjoyed reading David and Brady's game previews, recaps, analytical pieces, and everything else that we've published, you'll still be able to find all that over on the 247 site moving forward, and the ThursdayNight.com site will remain up as well. Uh, my photos from games will be uh, going up on the 247 site, and now I'll have the ability to do, contribute some written stuff as well, which is really exciting. haven't really had a whole lot of time to do that between managing everything else. So that's going to be a lot of fun. So anyway, long-winded, thank you for uh, for bearing with me here. All of this to say, we're looking forward to providing more of the same coverage you know us for now in a more accessible format in partnership with a national sports media organization and all the fun and excitement that comes with that. But that's all the time we have for this week. Uh, Brady and I will be in Columbia on Saturday to cover Georgia State's season opener against South Carolina, and we hope to see you there. So until next time, have a great week and go Panthers.